The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So for this week and next week, we're going to be uh, doing a kind of a mini uh, series of sermons, two, two sermons on uh, the outward dimension, relational dimension. You remember, you know, we spent a few weeks looking at that triangle, the up, in, and out triangle, and so I wanted to just focus in on the out for two weeks um, and, and talk, about, talk about our public faith, our outward relationships. And, and this is not a guilt trip. This is not a finger-wagging or a we-should-be-doing-better uh, type of series, but I think what it what I, what, I, what I hope it comes across as, as an opportunity for us as a church. An opportunity for us to know Jesus more deeply. Um, starting with word ministry, evangelism, or, or public faith, we are going to, to look at how this, this kind of aspect of our faith, this outward dimension of word ministry, leads us closer to Jesus. Um, and so uh, what I want to do is just introduce this in terms of uh, one thing. So if, if you could uh, think about that phrase, you know, this is uh, not a sprint, it's a marathon. Have you heard that before? Right, so I think in many ways the Christian journey is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not something that we only do for two months, three months, a year. We follow Jesus with our lives. And as Paul says, this is a turning point. So he says, the old is gone, the new has come. When you come to faith in Jesus, there is a turning point in your life, and you are redirected on this journey of faith. And as I've said a, few, uh, a couple times throughout this uh, relationship series, is that discipleship is it's a spirit-led process of Jesus being formed in us. That's what, that's what discipleship is. That's what our Christian journey is. It's a spirit-led process of Christ being formed in us. And many of us in this room are on that journey in some way. If you know Jesus, you're on that journey. Even if you're curious about Jesus, you're not sure if you quite would identify yourself as a Christian, but you're sitting here in this room for some reason, I would say that you are on this journey at a different point. We are all in some ways, on this spirit-led journey. And inevitably, when you're running a marathon, there's going to be times when you slow down. Maybe even times that you have to walk. When you feel like you can't go on, where there's something getting in the way. Maybe it's a, it's a cramp in your stomach, or your leg is sore, or you're feeling underfueled or thirsty or whatever. There's times in this journey of a marathon where you have to slow down, and it's the same in our faith. There are seasons in w- that are more difficult than others. There's times when it feels like our faith is not growing, that we're stagnant. And there's many reasons for this, but I think one of the reasons that we can exhaust ourselves or tire ourselves out is because we often don't think of the outward dimension of our faith as a means by which our faith grows. We don't often think about our, our public witness of Jesus as a way that we actually mature and carry on in this journey. 
This is exactly what Paul is pointing out to us in 2 Corinthians 5. He urges the Corinthian church to allow their faith to inform every part of their lives and in fact makes the case that they are compelled to by that love to lean into that by that their love for Christ Christ's love compels us Paul says and so within Paul's theology is this understanding that if we are not engaged in this public evangelistic outward engagement that our faith will suffer that we will lack the endurance and this is especially true even so think about um, when we talk about giving in the church and tithing we don't talk about it as a obligatory thing it's not a means by which we belong to the community either. It's not like we are guilted into giving. We call it a spiritual discipline because it's a means by which our faith grows. And so, you know, when, when I was preaching on generosity, it was over and over and over again said that, you know, if, if we aren't generous, we, are, we lack an understanding of God in a certain way. It's the same in evangelism and outward faith and so what we're going to look at um, to this morning is what Paul is talking about here about public faith and why he is urging the Corinthians to engage in it more faithfully so we're going to look at three things word ministry is faithful word ministry is revealing and word ministry is compelled it is faithful it is revealing and it is compelled so first, word ministry is faithful. You know that scene in Star Wars, A New Hope, where it's at the very end of the movie where Luke Skywalker is in his X-Wing and he gets into that alleyway in the Death Star and begins flying towards that, you know, that kind of target, that two-meter wide space where he has to launch those torpedoes. And, and as he gets into this alleyway, he gets boxed in, right? There's, there's TIE fighters below or behind him. There's walls beside him. There's fighters above him. And so he's essentially stuck. He's, he's forced forwards in this mission. There's no real way of him to get out. He makes that, that plunge. He's forced forward. And Paul articulates something similar to this in our mission as Christians. He makes the case that we are forced outward in our faith for two reasons. First, the fear of the Lord, and the second, the reconciliation of all things. So first, the fear of the Lord. Paul writes, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. We, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. And when we think about fear, I instantly think of the dark, because I'm scared of the dark. And I think to myself, how can that be what Paul is talking about here? Is he talking about, you know, the fear that we have that we're actually afraid of things, that it makes us full of anxiety and want to get out of that situation in whatever way possible? And I don't think so, because that's not consistently how the Bible authors use that word fear. Psalm 111, David says that the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. And so when I apply that to my fear of the dark, I don't know how that, my fear of the dark leads me to, to wisdom. It must be meaning something different, and it actually, it is. So as I was reading up on this this week, when the Bible uses that word fear, what they're describing is an appropriate reverence or awe or um, respect for something. So imagine for a moment that you're going to hike up Mount Everest. It's a pretty safe bet that nobody in this room has done that before. I could be wrong. Um, but if, if you are going to climb up Mount Everest, you're probably going to want to bring along a lot of gear. Probably a really warm jacket. Probably hire a guide who has done it before, who knows the way, right? If you were to throw on your hoodie and just kind of start trekking up the mountain, people would call you foolish, right? Why? Well, because you don't have an appropriate fear of Mount Everest. You don't have an appropriate respect for the conditions, right? And you don't you are not captivated in awe by the sheer magnitude of what that means to summit. There is, you are missing an appropriate amount of fear of that mountain. If you were filled with respect and reverence and awe for the mountain, you would want to prepare yourself. You would want to go out and buy all the right gear, hire all the right people, and then carefully plan out your ascent. Right? This is exactly what Paul is saying That He's saying that because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade others. Because when someone does not give God the appropriate glory or reverence or respect, they are actually stealing that for themselves. It is as if they are looking at God, putting on their hoodie, and trying to climb up to the top. They're, they're taking that fear of, the, of God and placing it upon themselves. There's a, there's a mismatch. There's a lack of respect, a lack of reverence, a lack of awe at the character of God. And Paul is saying, because we know, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade other people. God's glory demands it because we cannot rob God of glory. His very character demands that we respect it. And so as people who do fear God, who do respect him, who do give him glory and honor, we are compelled to point that out to other people. God's glory pushes us outward. On the other side of things, God's reconciliation also demands it. From page two of the Bible, after the fall of man, the Bible is a story of reconciliation. The big question throughout every page in Scripture is, how is God going to bring his children back? How is he going to do it? And the answer to that question is through Jesus. Paul writes in verses 16 to 19 that being reconciled to God is the most important thing that anyone could have. To Paul, reconciliation means 
living in a completely different, completely transformed way of life. It is to become a new creation. It is to find our identity primarily in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that, in that way, Paul is spurred on to proclaim Christ. Because it would be a failure for him to love his neighbor if, he, if they did not take this seriously as well. The reconciliation of the world demands that we proclaim the gospel. It would be a failure to love our neighbors if we did not take this seriously. For example, the average Hamiltonian would probably say something like, you know, why, why is sex outside of marriage such a bad thing? I mean, if there's consent on both sides, if, if everyone is in agreement of the terms of the relationship, then why can it be, why can it be wrong? And a Christian would answer that question differently. A Christian would say that it is not because of the two people involved, but because of the reconciliation of God. God has reconciled our relationships to himself. And when we don't practice sexuality within a lifelong committed relationship of fidelity, it is hurtful because it does not bring us closer to God. It does not practice reconciliation. Sex is intended not just to bring two people together, closer together, but to bring us closer to God. It is a spiritual thing because it puts into practice Christ's love for the church, his devotion to the church, how he lays himself down for the church. It, it is practicing reconciliation. And when we fail to publicly proclaim this reconciliation to the world, we fail to love our neighbors. And so we are boxed in as Christians, just like Luke Skywalker is in his X-Wing. We are boxed in by the glory of God that demands that we proclaim this to the world. We are boxed in by the reconciliation of all things that, that says that if, if, we don't love our, if we don't proclaim this, we're not loving our neighbors faithfully. Public faith, word ministry, is faithful. But it's also revealing because it reveals our pride and our fear. Paul goes on at great lengths to show us in verses 16 to 21 that our reconciliation to God, our new creationness that, that comes to us the moment we believe, right, the old is gone, the new has come, that that is not anything that we are responsible for on our own. It is a gift of God. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Earlier in the letter, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And what Paul is telling us is that it isn't us. There is nothing in us that made us more open or more keen to hear and respond to the gospel, that it was all God's work. The only reason why you are a Christian today is because God has made his light shine in your heart. Now, there's a part of us that doesn't engage in witnessing to Jesus because we look at other people and think there's no way that that person will receive the gospel. 
There's no way that they'll be receptive. There's no way that they will respond. They're too far gone. They're too ignorant. Or they don't care at all. They haven't shown any interest. But we forget who the author of salvation is. Who makes light shine in our hearts. And so we come to conclusions about what is possible in the lives of others. And it shows us our pride. We put ourselves in the place of God. We put ourselves in the seat of judgment. Our pride often puffs us up to to decide who and how people will respond to the good, good news. Pride puffs us up to think that we are also different, that we were just a little bit smarter or a little bit more open or a little bit more receptive or born into the right family. No. God made his light shine in our hearts. And if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. But on the other side of it, perhaps it, this doesn't reveal a prideful heart in us, right? A certain belief about, a belief about us, but a certain belief about God. Witnessing to Jesus publicly can be scary. It can be very scary. But why? Why is it scary? Why does it fill us with fear? Why are we afraid? Do we believe that God will be faithful? Do we believe that God uses us? Do we believe, as Matthew 28, 20 says, that Jesus will be with us always till the very end of the age? That we are to go, and in our going, to make disciples of Jesus? Do we believe that God is actually reconciling the world to himself? And that he is at work in the hearts and the lives of people that we don't even realize. And when we come into relationship with others, we, we actually can participate with God in the renewal of all things when we proclaim the gospel. Often we let our fear get in the way of trusting in God's promises. And so word ministry is revealing because it shows us the ways in which our faith in God is off. Ways in which we need to repent. Repent of our pride that puffs us up and repent of our fear that makes us step back. But lastly, and most importantly, word ministry is compelled. Paul uses this word, compelled. He is compelled by the love of Christ. Word ministry will always be a burden for us unless we are compelled by the love of Jesus. The Apostle Paul would have understood this better than anyone else in the world. You know, if you know the story of Paul, you know that he used to be a hateful and hurtful prosecutor of Christians. Right? Early in the book of Acts, we saw that Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen. He approved it. And then on the road to Damascus, Jesus, or Paul met Jesus. And, and the, the old was gone. The new had come. And everything in Paul's life had changed. And after that, it was like, Paul was like what C.S. Lewis talked about with the, the quote about the sun, where he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because I see everything through it. Paul's life was seeing everything through the love of Christ, being compelled in everything through the love of Christ. And it compelled him out of his pride, because Paul could not imagine, he could not wrap his head around the fact that that God would save him. He calls himself the chief of sinners. He never lost that humility. He never lost 
that understanding that his, in his prior life, that there was nothing in him that made him more open or more receptive of the gospel, that Jesus had to come and had to humble him. See, Christ's love compelled him out of his pride. It also compelled him out of his fear. Because as he says in this passage, one died and all died, which means that the penalty for sins was borne by him, that Christ died in our place. And since Christ died and rose again, we have nothing to fear. The, the most, the tightest squeeze in our world, death itself, has been defeated. What could we possibly have left to fear? And so the love of Christ compels us as well, outward, to proclaim the good news. But I think if Paul were actually here in this room, he wouldn't tell us that we all have to get up on the corner of Jackson Square and start preaching or be talking about Jesus every single moment of every single day. He uses the word ambassador. If you are a Christian, you are an ambassador for Jesus. And I had no idea what the word ambassador meant until Drake became the ambassador of the Raptors. And what does it mean for him? He wears the jersey. He goes to the games. He recruits the players. He represents the Raptors wherever he goes. It's his role. Now he also is a singer and songwriter. But he is also always an ambassador. Those roles are fused together. And I think that's a healthy way for us to think about this too. We are ambassadors for Jesus in all areas of our lives. We constantly wear the jersey. We are always thinking of ways where we, how can we represent Christ well? How can we get more players on this team? We are an ambassador for Jesus. The best way that this happens is through relationships. And there's this, Emerson, I'll, I'll have you pull up the slide now, but there's a slide on the screen that I want to walk through you. I ran into this at a public faith conference that I was at a bunch of years ago, and I thought, this is really helpful. Because sometimes it can feel extremely overwhelming to know where to start when we talk about evangelism or proclaiming Jesus or talking about Jesus in our lives. So let's start right at the bottom. The bottom level, the lobby, in our relationships with people, let them know you go to church. That's step one. Just let them know you go to church as it comes up in conversation. Don't shy away from it. Just let them know you go to church. Now, if we can't do that, then we have to really think about what we're worshiping. Like, who is Jesus to us? If we can't let people know what is the most important thing in our lives, what we do with other Christians, just let people know that you go to church. The next level up is what's called the fears and loves floor. So, all in the context of a relationship, a one-on-one -on -one relationship, get to understand a person deeper than the superficial. 
deeper than the, you know, talking about municipal politics or about the weather or about the neighbor who doesn't put away their trash cans and get to know three things. First, what do they hope in? What do they hope in in their life? Second, what do they trust in? And third, how do they handle failure? When we get to know our neighbors or our friends in this way, it eventually will open up the door for us to be able to share how Jesus answers these questions for us, helps us with these questions. What do you hope in? What do you trust in? How do you handle failure? And the next floor up is the hospitality floor. So this is where we invite people into our homes and into our lives. We have to, as Christians, be willing to invite people into our lives, not just so that they can become Christians, but because we should have friends and we are called to love our neighbors and we are called to show hospitality to people. And hospitality is a perfect way of showing love, the love of Christ. And it's on this floor that we can begin to ask questions about what people think about Christianity, what people think about Jesus, what people think about God. And it's important that we don't do this too soon because without the context of a solid relationship, it's easier for people to lob grenades into our Christian faith and say, what do you, why is there pain and suffering in the world? How can you believe in a God who allows such injustices to go unpunished? But within a context of a relationship, these questions are harder to just lob in because there's an investment on both sides. And so it leads to more fruitful conversation. The hospitality side B is invite people, your neighbors, into your home at the same time as you're inviting other Christians from church so that people can rub shoulders with other Christians. It's a lower level than inviting them into a space like this. And then moving on up the engaging Christianity floor. The next step up would be engage, invite them to engage Christianity on an indirect level. And what I mean by this is a perfect example. Last weekend, two weekends ago, there was an art show at Redeemer. Art is drastically changed by a Christian worldview. It reshapes, it's like the C.S. Lewis quote, it's by, you see things differently through it. Right? So you paint differently, you sculpt differently, you throw pottery differently because of your Christian faith. And it allows people to indirectly be exposed to how the Christian worldview changes a person. And then maybe on a, uh, a different, uh, an, another level is uh, engaging something about Christian more, Christianity more directly. So first indirectly, then directly, something like Alpha is great for a place for people to ask questions about faith in an open and honest environment. And then finally, the top floor is the Christian practices floor. Invite a person to participate in a worship service or Bible study. And now what I appreciate about this, and there's, you know, there's shortcomings. It's not a linear thing. Like, it's not like we have to wait to level up to the next floor or anything. But what it does is it helps us to take off bite-sized pieces 
And it also helps us to see that the answer is not just inviting somebody to church. There's ways that we can share our faith, be public with our faith, without inviting a person to church that may be more helpful, probably are more helpful for a person and where they're at. And so take a look at this building for a second and slot yourself into the level that you're comfortable bringing a person. Where would you be comfortable? And then what, maybe a follow-up question, what would be getting in the way of continuing up this building? What would be getting in the way for you? If you're comfortable bringing somebody up all the way to the top, maybe find a place where you are right now with a friend or a coworker and ask yourself, what is the next step for them? How can I love them and keep them moving on this journey towards Jesus? Now, why do we do all of this? Because Christ's love compels us. This, this is news that we have been entrusted that is too good to keep quiet. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, you, have, that you have shone light into this dark world. That you are a God who saves sinners of whom we are the worst. Thank you for grace and thank you for love. And Father, may this love compel us out in word to proclaim the good news to our friends and neighbors. May your spirit continue to equip us. May we continue to ask the right questions, to be equipped in the right things that we may be confident to give an answer to all who ask. God, lead us as we live as a church community within this city of which there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who don't know the good news that there is a way. The old can be gone. The new is here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.